0: back happy new year 2019 we made it we made it the world didn't blow up yet
1: Mm, i mean it depends on how you look at it
0: i suppose well it's still physically here that's what i mean we're still here yeah
1: we're still touching bodies together
0: (laughs) (laughs) we're still bumping beautifuls
1: still bumping bumping bushes (laughs) ew
0: that thing always seemed weird to me bumping uglies
1: People say that? You never heard that? Gross.
0: I don't think people say that much,
1: Gross. (laughs) Gross.
0: Let's bump uglies.
1: Why would you think your genitals are ugly?
0: Well, there's a lot of sex negativity.
1: Anyway, (laughs) uh, hey, so we have a very special podcast today. One of our rare, if you, and far between interview podcasts.
0: Yay, number two. It's only the second.
1: It's the second one, but, um, our friend Danielle Dorsey, uh went on an amazing and and fascinating adventure um last year
0: you know In- she did a little solo trip um and she was kind of i forget the word for it but like you know when you're working and traveling um
1: telecommuting
0: yeah is that her name um, is that what it's called through mexico central america and down into south america
1: and you wanted to interview her and talk to her about it because there's some themes, things that she was exploring and studying that are of interest. Yeah, it
0: sounds sounded super interesting. Kind of, she was going to, uh, you know, kind of connect with some areas in South America, Latin America that have black populations. A lot of people don't really know or aren't familiar that there's actually a lot of black people that live in Latin America. I sure was. So many of those countries. Um, <laughs> were also plantation places um like think of brazil most people don't think of a black person they think of brazil but the majority of people who live in brazil are black or indigenous um i think i think somewhere around 51 52 percent of brazil's population is african descent Mm -hmm. um as well as there's uh populations of black people in mexico i think even danielle said that there's the first uh free black settlement in the americas was in mexico
1: yeah yeah she gets into that uh in our conversation that we had um before we get into that should we just do like a quick what we've been up to moment
0: yes what have we been up to
1: i don't know to be quite honest
0: chillaxing hard
1: when was our last podcast what was it about we
0: have no, uh... idea. We have no idea i think it was a political thing. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: It was about voter voting. Yeah. Okay. Alright, so that was like a November. few months ago. Mm. <laughs> um I guess since then, uh what, I had my show up, we've done some stuff with Sacred Sadism. Yes. I feel like I've been trying to chill really hard since my show went up because yeah. I was pretty stressed out. We're really
0: it. busy October, November. Yeah. So yeah.
1: Um, we did go home. We went back to Minnesota. We haven't talked about that.
0: Oh yeah, we were gonna do. We were gonna oh, do podcasts hunting. about Minnesota. But... Yeah,
1: we went back to my parents' house in Papaski, Minnesota, up up north in Minnesota, in the two one eight, and um, we decided that like the one of the main ventures of this visit, besides Temba, seeing my childhood home, seeing where I grew up, was gonna be to spend the time uh going on a little hunting trip because it was deer hunting season temba has never been hunting and you're passionate about learning how to hunt and eventually ethically source your own wild game right
0: fuck yeah yeah so you got (laughs) to
1: try that out
0: it was fun it was cold uh it snowed the whole time we were there uh it was like in the 20s i think
1: yeah i don't think nighttime got colder than like seven degrees but it was
0: awesome i actually i'm an extremist i love hot weather and i love cold weather especially with snow i haven't slept that good in a long time we were staying out like uh jenny's parents have like a yurt um, on their land, and that's where we were. The only heat source is like this little wood stove. Very and little, wood stove. I don't know if you're familiar with yurts or not, but there's not a whole lot of insulation in a yurt, yeah. Um, but oh, I n- I haven't slept that good, in even so though long.
1: when you say slept that good, you slept that good, but you had to get up every few hours to put wood in
0: the stove. Uh, not, not too much, though, like
1: twice a night,
0: maybe, yeah. And I got up a but few still, times, so get up I, times, I love to sleep like cozy in the covers and the outside temperature is cold yeah and it was like, like
1: it was like seven degrees i think this yeah was that it was that, beautiful. which is not that cold for minnesota
0: i loved it yeah right now it's like negative 20 right yeah
1: it's negative <laughs> 20
0: this week so
1: we were there at a good time and like even you know i'm a wimp i get really cold here in la when it's like 50 degrees but I like acclimated pretty quickly. The first day I was like, "What in the fuck is this cold?" And then it's funny how your body just adjusts.
0: No, oh, this is this is the new normal. Now. Well,
1: and once you, and when you're well outfitted.
0: Yeah, that's the important part. If you have the right gear. Because we you're had right. we had a lot
1: of warm gear. I had my choppers, my mm-hmm. leather mittens, and I think in LA the problem with the cold is I you never know how cold it's gonna be. Because, like, it's desert, so night times can get really cold compared to daytime, so you can be, like, dressed for a 72-degree day, and then all of a sudden you go outside after being inside, and it's, like, 50 degrees, and it's cold. That's
0: so rare, though. It's not! It's so rarely <laughs> 50 at night here.
1: <laughs> it is, too. It's, it's But look at it this week. It's been cold all week. <laughs> I'm convinced that it's actually cold here, I'm, and it's all relative, you know? Because, like, right now it's only 65 degrees. 45 tonight... 50, 50, 50, 51, 53, 54, 50, 51, 52. Those are the lows all week. That's cold when you're like... So
0: many people in so many places are like, I wish it was 50 during the of day course, right now. I
1: mean, I'm just saying all of that is relative. Like, yeah. when I adjusted to the... Once you adjust to the Minnesota weather and you know that you have, like, the right clothing to wear and you know that you have a warm place to sit in between the cold stuff, like, I don't know. I hear you.
0: Okay. I think... Good. Oh, I was going to say I, I intentionally train my body not to acclimatize to LA I know you but do I, I don't I can't I can't turn into an LA wimp
1: I can so tell <laughs> me about the hunting what what that was like for you to get to be in the mindset of the hunting of the meat and why and why me. we didn't end up bagging a big one
0: um it was fun I enjoyed it we were trompsing around in the woods a bunch uh we were we had I guess it wasn't really like a stand but there's some like big fields um, on your parents land where we were kind of like waiting for the deer to come out of the woods in a um, tiny house in a tiny house and we'd like
1: have this tiny house my parents bought and you could we just basically sat in some chairs and opened the window and waited
0: yeah it was uh, we saw I think the first day we saw two deer it was like a doe and a yearling And i think the very last day we saw another deer um but we didn't end up shooting any of them because we only had a buck tag and um
1: and like i feel like you know i mean we could have poached them Uh, it was our land i you know what i mean if we wanted to we could have i think the last day when we saw that one that maybe wasn't a yearling maybe was we couldn't really tell i think the big issue was that we had to leave the next day and processing and butchering a deer takes a, at least a day or a day and a half, depending on how cold it is and how much daylight you have. And that was like three, almost 4 p.m. when we saw that one. So we weren't going to have day daylight or time to do that. And it didn't really seem right to leave Pa with all the butchering work. No.
0: I mean, if I'm going to do the thing, I want to do the whole process. Exactly. Otherwise, um, I mean, yeah. it's It doesn't take that much. I mean, I've shot guns before. Like, so that aspect's not a huge learning curve but the yeah you definitely being able to process it. yeah the um the meat is really where the learning part yeah. came in for me
1: yeah i wish i mean i don't know i was having like weird i had weird feelings about it i think mostly because we didn't have time to butcher the deer yeah but i also really i guess was having a lot of like ethical pangs not about killing a deer but about killing the right deer Hmm. do you know what i mean like i didn't really want to kill the doe with its yearling or the yearling that maybe was like not a year it was really hard to tell i was having a lot of like pangs about which was the right deer to kill you know what i mean Mm -hmm. did you feel have any of those feelings or
0: um yeah a little bit i guess just Due to the fact that we only had a buck tag. Yeah. And I just didn't really... Like, your dad kind of gave us, like, mixed signals about, about that. He was like, yeah, well, if you want to shoot it, you can shoot it. But it was, I don't it, know. It, it felt if, like
1: it, it was a test of, like, t- <laughs> it was, like testing time. But, like, well, you could shoot the dough.
0: I didn't feel like a test. It just seemed really unclear. And I was just like, "Uh, it's not really worth it to, like... Shoot a doe and then like yeah get in, I mean it probably not gonna get in trouble for it but I don't know yeah If think trying it's, to be respectful of the, yeah
1: well because that's like a huge I think the whole thing it's like if you're going to hunt having respect for
0: the rules the animals the the population that's being managed because that's what hunting is right. part like uh animal population management because we have unfortunately killed all the wolves which Mm -hmm. are the deer's natural predators so
1: there are still wolves in minnesota
0: yeah there's still wolves in a few places but i mean wolves used to exist across the whole country Mm. and they only exist now in like a few northern states Mm. where because i mean canada they're still around
1: so well that was a good experience yeah we spent a lot of time really just sitting there and being quiet and i just really loved the like experience of the alertness and presence of hunting because it is such to me what i was most looking forward to in hunting was the meditative state of not being on the phone being present looking out at the surroundings even if it was just like a blank field of snow and just being really alert and aware um i find that to be like one of the most interesting parts of hunting and i used to hunt here and there. I didn't do it that much but my dad used to bring me out a lot into the woods to just sit and be present and aware and that was shit that I did not understand as a kid at all so it's interesting to come to be an adult and do that and be like oh I get why this is so
0: yeah yeah I I, I liked the trompsing in the woods and yeah cause that, that remind me a lot of parts of my childhood where we were kind of like free range homeschool kids and spent a lot of time just Fucking running wild in the woods.
1: Yeah, those woods were our playground growing up, you know, as kids. We just have our three wheeler or wander off, and it's nice to have that 120 acre playpen in a sense, you know what I mean? To just be able to like wander.
0: Yeah. And no one's. That's like a thing not too many kids get to do anymore. I mean, even like I, for the first. 10 years of my life I lived like in city urban environments and even then like yeah when I I forget how old I was but I mean my parents weren't letting me run around as a 3 year old but I think by the time I was like 5 or 6 I was fucking outside and Mm -hmm. um, running around neighborhoods or wherever we were and that's like a thing a lot of kids don't get to do Like you can literally get in trouble for like with child services for having like your kid like if you live in new york city like having your kid like go buy something at the store or walk themselves home from school or something Is that just true pretty...
1: i didn't know that because like i lived in new york and i would always see kids running around by themselves i didn't yeah know that i think
0: it, i think it might be a, a more recent thing now oh, but shit. yeah you can get in trouble for i don't know if it's child endangerment or
1: neglect or neglect something. yeah something like Damn. that
0: it's like if you trust your kid and like you know, everyone has fucking cell phones and shit now. Like I don't know,
1: we it is a privilege that we grew up in that way. I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, it does have its risks, but I think that's super important to uh, developing self confidence and self reliance as a child. Mm-hmm. And like I don't know, I think a lot of that has contributed to some of the really immature shit that you see a lot of young people doing. These days, where they can't think for themselves and don't have fucking like critical, well, I guess critical critical thinking is the same thing. But yeah, this ability to like reason on their own and have to, you know, maybe fall
1: fall in with the pack instead yeah, of being a lone wolf. To, they don't have to be <laughs> a lone wolf.
0: They just it's. I think it's super important to be able to think for yourself and think critically and be exposed to ideas that maybe you don't hold and that doesn't like shatter your world view just because there's something different out there
1: and developing autonomy does a require ton, yeah. does require having the freedom to explore the world in mm-hmm. your own way like unfettered really yeah
0: and
1: I, I, I was you know I when I when I was a babysitter in New York that was like a huge uh in, insight for me was like watching over these kids who literally had to stay in the grid like, stay in the grid, like, walk in this way, go here, go there, and always had to be supervised because of the dangers of living in a heavily trafficked and highly populated place, you know? It was, like, those kids never had the chance to explore Unfettered, yeah. You know. Except in these, like, very small blocks of, like, concrete playgrounds or something, you know what I mean? And that's just, to me, something I realized, I was like, oh, I would, if I ever had a kid, I would never, ever want to raise them in that kind of prison, like, Ar- architecture, in a way, mm. I don't know? Um, yeah. Free range kids. Otherwise, what else, baby?
0: I think that's it.
1: Yeah, we've just been fucking around. I don't know. We've been watching 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> which is a really fucked up show.
0: Too much trash TV. Yeah, uh, I've been
1: watching a lot of trash TV.
0: Well, we we had our, our annual allotment of rain uh, a couple weeks ago, so we're kind of stuck we were stuck inside yeah with we were all stuck inside
1: for four days it was awesome um, i loved it
0: so that lends itself to a lot of hibernation in the house fuckery
1: i miss hibernating that's oh. the one thing i like about the cold yeah like oh no i can't go outside it's too cold i just need to stay here on the couch no. <laughs> um Let's see. We have a plant play 101 class coming up on Sunday, which we're going to be uh, demonstrating some plant play, play BDSM techniques. Techniques. (laughs) So maybe we'll come back after that and talk a little bit more about those kind of things for the next episode. But for this one, I think we should get into it. We had a conversation with Danielle.
0: Yes, who so graciously lent us some time Mm -hmm. and... Her experiences on her awesome trip through latin america
1: so let's let's listen in
0: hello so we are sitting here with our friend Daniel dorsey welcome hello. to the podcast thank you for
2: having me <laughs> of course
0: um so, Danielle, you are a writer, a uh, creator. Uh, I know I'm forgetting something. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, yeah, so I typically call myself a word witch or um, writer and tarot reader. Um, and, yeah, I do, like, a lot of other little things, like event coordination and um, other artsy type stuff. But writer
0: is the main title. Cool. making all sorts of magic happen wait let
2: me ask you what you
1: mean by word what
2: <laughs> well um I just kind of feel like words are sort of my like element um, and that the way that I approach writing is very much kind of like a spell like of trying to find the right word and like putting the right ingredients in and trying to like create this alchemy or this relationship with the reader, um, where they are understanding what I'm trying to say, but at the same time able to maybe pull a different meaning that I maybe hadn't intended.
1: hmm So, yeah. It's like creating a divining Yeah. For yeah. others to use. Yeah, kind of. Language is kind of that way in general, I always feel like. Cause like right, like yeah. Words are symbols and...
2: Yeah, I think, like, words, um, They're so meaningful, language in general is just so meaningful, um, that I'm really intrigued by just how we can play with that and how, like, different ways to communicate and to get my message across and kind of approaching it, um, in the same way that someone might approach a different form of witchcraft.
0: So we brought you onto the podcast today to kind of talk about, uh, what you were up to, uh, when did you get back, like, October?
2: Yeah, late, like mid-late October.
0: Mid-late October, so you've been back for a couple of months, but I remember probably like a year and a half, maybe two years ago, uh, you posted this thing on Facebook, and you were asking uh, if 31 was too old to take a gap year. Yeah. And I remember reading <laughs> and like, fuck no. Get, <laughs> go do whatever you gotta do. And uh, you were getting ready to embark on this amazing kind of solo trip through Mexico, Central America, and South America. Um, So, yeah, we just wanted to talk to you a little bit about what your motivations for the trip were, what you learned, how was the experience? So maybe I guess start with that. What were kind of, where did the idea come from?
2: Okay, yeah, um, it's funny because looking back... um, It's kind of like all these little pieces you know that really fit into this larger picture Um, but where it came from was I was in a relationship and we weren't doing so well and like as we were kind of breaking up I found myself like faced with this identity crisis where I was just like I had put so much of my identity in this relationship and I was just like what do I even want like where am I going and so I was I the idea was like really sort of incredulous at first, but it was just like, all right, I'm going to just travel for a while and, like, try to kind of figure out how to get back on path and sort of, I guess, find myself, um, and then as I sort of let myself, um, have that, like, really big goal, Mm -hmm. I was able to, um, like, it, it sort of morphed into something else where it became about, um healing like ancestral trauma related to like movement and migration and also became about um learning how to take up space no matter where i am like regardless of whether i'm um in a place where there are a lot of people who look like me or there's no one who looks like me um so it morphed into a lot and like also about like independence and like learning how to be by myself um but yeah where it started from was just like a sort of like existential crisis because I was like, "Who am I without this <laughs> relationship?" I was gonna say that, that's one of the
1: things I was thinking when I saw you're doing that trip. I was like, "That's so fucking badass that you're going." Because I didn't, I don't know if you were still with your partner at yeah. the time or whatever. But I was like, "That's like to me, like." Relationship goals in some yeah. way is to be able to be independent and do your own thing and like yeah I think I was I was like wow that's pretty fucking cool thank a little you jelly. Yeah. I'm a little jelly I, I, I want to go on a little well trip. it's funny
2: because we ended up getting back together and I was still like. Well, I was really committed because I was like, look, I made this decision while we were broken up. Like mm-hmm. it kind of defeats the purpose if I don't go because we're now together or sure, yeah. like I was really like, you're not invited. Like, <laughs> I was like, we can like figure out a way to make this work and, you know, maybe you can come visit me, which he did a couple times, mm-hmm. but I was very much like, this is something I have to do for myself.
1: Um, I love that. So I didn't yeah. know that. About, I didn't know that about the trip, and I think yeah. so. I think it's great.
2: Yeah. Um. So, yeah. It, it was it was really great. Um. It was definitely really scary, and it it taught me. Because um, at the time, like I said, it was just sort of an idea that came to me, and I didn't really have any idea of how I was going to execute it. But it really taught me that, like, that's a totally, like feasible way to approach goals, you know, you don't always have to know the steps in between, um, and that a lot of times when we, like, just commit ourselves to doing something, even if it seems really intimidating, um, the smaller steps are revealed along the way.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you learn so much, like, figuring those pieces out, Yeah, too. yeah.
2: And it also just, like, gives you a lot of faith and confidence in yourself because you do answer all those questions that, you know, seem really intimidating, that you're like, how am I going to do this? So every time you're able to kind of successfully figure it out, you gain a little bit more confidence.
1: Hell yeah. <laughs> I might be off. Do you, do you have a question? I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. Uh. Um, I might be making an assumption, but like so you said it, like healing ancestral trauma mm-hmm. became part of the goal of the trip. Yeah. And like, I wonder too how much that comes out of being in like a mixed race relationship. I was, cause I was saying like, yeah, that's something that I think we deal with in our relationship is like what from our sides right of the equation need to be healed I don't know if that was coming from
2: um I can't I mean hmm I never really thought of it from that perspective well might not be
1: that's what I was thinking I was just like did that yeah like yearning or like search for that come from
2: for me it was more so like international travel like I only got my passport maybe three years ago um so international travel has never really been a huge part of my life But at the same time, I've always really loved travel, like even just domestically, road trips. And so, as I started to get more interested in international travel, I was kind of like, well, why did I never consider this a real possibility for myself? Like, why was this always something, you know, I have this love of travel. Why did international travel seem too intimidating or just something that wasn't attainable for me? Um, And I kind of was able to trace it back to like my family and just realizing that, like, you know, my family is, so I'm a black woman and my family um, is from the south, Jackson, Mississippi. So my grandparents came as part of the Great Migration and uh, my mother is like the first generation to live out here in California um, and then my brothers and me after that. So I realized that a lot of my hesitancy was just because like for my family and in throughout history we haven't really had this freedom. Like we've always like just being able to be comfortable in our homes was like yeah. revolutionary. And so that's kind of the attitude towards traveling in my family. In my dad my dad travels a lot for work, but that's kind of what it is. It's like you either travel for work, like I, I my grandfather was in the Navy and my dad was in the Air Force as well. So it's like you might travel for that or like for some sort of responsibility, but it's not leisurely mm-hmm. and really if you can feel comfortable in your home and if you don't have to worry about being harassed or you don't, you know, you can even relax in the places in your neighborhood or in your city, that was like a privilege to them. Yeah. Um, so it was never really anything that occurred to me to even want for myself. Mm. Um, and so as I thought more about that, I was like, I really wanted to just like get over any of the barriers that were keeping me from traveling. And also, like, just clear my ancestral lineage so, like, if I do have children someday, they won't have the same anxieties about movement and about travel that I kind of had to consciously get over and release. Hell yeah.
0: Yeah, if they yeah hear you talking about your stories of, like, when you've gone places, yeah. they know that's a reality for them. And, yeah, that, that resonates so hard with me, like, um, even though... Like, my background's a little different. Like, my dad came to the States from the Caribbean. Like, I think, still pick up on the black people who are, you know, born in America. Like, because a lot of, like, traveling was not safe right, during segregation. Yeah, like, that was... I can't remember the name of the guide, but there was, like, oh, a guide book. Book. Yeah, the yeah. Green Book. That yeah. was the
2: stops where... Was like yeah. A, yeah, a it was, like, a guide of, like, mm-hmm. safe
0: places yeah. to go and... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Yeah. So. Um,
2: I'm reading this book now uh, called The the Warmth of Other Suns, and it's about the Great Migration, uh, which just, like, brief history lesson for anyone who might yeah. not be. Yeah, I was going to say, I actually am not familiar <laughs> okay. with that, uh, um, that term. So, and it's not like I wasn't taught it in school or anything mm-hmm. either, um, but the Great Migration basically speaks to this mass migration that happened in the United States where between the years of 19, 1915, In 1970, seven million black people fled the South and went to mostly like Chicago, less so California became more popular towards like the 60s and the 70s, -hmm. but really it was like where you could get on a train. So it was like Chicago, Detroit, Mm -hmm. New York, Philadelphia, Washington. Um, And so my grandparents were part of that. They left Jackson, Mississippi in um, like mid-1950s and... What's also interesting about that, too, is like all these people left the South basically because, you know, they just couldn't exist under Jim Crow and mm. there were no, op- um, no opportunities. But even coming out to, like, California and, you know, New York and all these other places, it's not like racism didn't exist. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in the book that I was speaking of, The Warmth of Other Sums, they actually call it um, James Crow like in California mm. uh, and stuff because mm-hmm. it's kind of like this unspoken right. racism and discrimination of like, you know, you still might not be able to get a house or rent a hotel or get a car or whatever it might be, but people wouldn't say like, oh, well, here's the law that, that says that. It was more of just like an unspoken thing. Yeah. So. A yeah. little history
1: lesson. Yeah. <laughs> I, I did not know that. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, I guess going, going back to your, your trip, Um, I know you're saying um, kind of like healing your ancestral trauma. Uh, Was there something specific about South America, Central America, like in your family that Um, drew you? or
2: So there wasn't. um, And that was also like a reason why I focused on that region, too, was I was looking for... I was like, okay, I wanted to travel but i was like i don't really want to like spend 4 or 5 months just being around only white people like yes, <laughs> i want to like i was like i want to like have a diverse um experience but at the same time i don't feel like going back to africa or going to the caribbean is like the only option for experiencing um cultures that have like this rich african diasporic influence so i was like i'm going to go to latin america because it's close and I it was pretty cheap um, and I was like I know that they had um, a history with the transatlantic slave um, slave trade so there must be like African diasporic cultures there Um, so it kind of just became a mission to like find those cultures and to find that history which in some cases was more well-profiled than other but that also just became like a really huge motivation for the trip was like you know, going to places like Mexico or Peru, where the last thing you're gonna think of is like black culture um, or black or African influence, and like uncovering like really cool facts and locations, um, and then coming back and like being able to share it with people.
1: Yeah, I think that's so amazing because I I think you're totally right. That's not something people think of yeah. when they think of traveling there, and. Uh... Do you feel like you're kind of pioneering some of that, like, right, right, committing some of that history to words and, or or is there a lot about it already? No, there wasn't. And,
2: like, that was was really frustrating when I was planning the trip because, like, I was kind of going in blind to a lot of places because I couldn't really find that much information and a lot of the times the information that I could find was, like, really stereotypical. Mm. Um... And, like, there were certain places, it was just really interesting how, like, the places with, like, the largest black um, populations, they'd be like, oh, it's dangerous, there's no reason to go here. And then, like, I'd look in other places and that I'd discover there's, like, this huge ecological reserve or, like, these little things that they hadn't profile just because they happen to be housed in, like, mostly black communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, like, I didn't, I don't really think of it as pioneering, but I guess it is in the sense that, like, yeah, there's not that much out there. <laughs> yeah, and even uh, just kind of, like, going
1: into the unknown being like, I'm just gonna go yeah. see for myself because, like you said, there's, like, a biased... The way people write about it or yeah. look at it or explore it is very biased. Yeah,
2: it's definitely, like, most travel is, like, People go to kind of discover like c- colonist history for the most part. Absolutely. <laughs> when we so were traveling
1: that's... in the Yucatan, it's just everything is there's so much all of the colonial like, this. Yeah, this, yeah, this, but, and it was yeah. really like
2: kind of almost triggering because it's yeah. like that's not the motivation behind everyone's travel, you know. Absolutely. And also, there's like in places like Mexico, there's so much indigenous ho- culture and mm-hmm. so much history that to then be like oh let's focus on like when the spanish came here in the 16th century just like doesn't do those communities justice yeah. at all. Yeah.
0: People no. are there for thousands and thousands yeah. and, thousands yeah. and of it's years like of...
2: and to me that history and those histories and cultures are like so much more interesting oh, yeah. and yeah. so much like I would rather dive into that um than learn about like some people who's Boat got lost. Right. In yeah. My head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it really yeah.
1: like homogenizes across like anywhere that, especially this Sp- like Spanish colonialism. Even yeah. like along in California. Oh that's yeah, like, yeah, totally. When you go up and down the coast here. All all of it is these like colonial Oh, Camino Real. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> now I'm remembering like doing that trip with my mom. And that's everywhere we stopped it was just like another. Yeah, Spanish and this is works. where they discovered this. Yeah. And like they put this church here, and it's yeah. like yes. yeah. It really shows like the imperialism though and like and how yeah, just how pervasive that is. Yeah. So what did you discover in that like I remember you had talked about that town or area. Yeah. That like in the uh, tourist books was like dangerous, dangerous down yeah. there. Yeah. And then what was it like when you got there?
2: Um, so there were a few places. Um there was one place called uh Yanga, Mexico, which is the first free black community in North America Um, and it's in the state of Veracruz in Mexico. So it's on the Caribbean coast. And like when I was like preparing to go there, so I spent like a couple weeks in Mexico city. Like everyone I talked to, even like Mexicans, locals were like, oh, like you should not go there. It's dangerous. But like whenever I was like, oh, so you've been there. Like what's dangerous about it? What should I avoid? Like, is there certain areas? They're just like, no, no, it's bad. Just
0: don't go. Yeah. (laughs) Just
2: don't go. No, don't like, don't go down that road. (laughs) Um, and even like when I went to Yanga, which is like a tiny little town, and they just have this, um, the main thing in the town is just this statue of um, their liberator, Jasper Yanga, who the town's named after. Um, so that's kind of like the only thing to see there, but I still was like, I, I want to go there. Um, and even like during, on the cab ride there, my taxi driver pulled over and was like, are you sure that, like, you want to go here because I'm going to charge you? Like oh, <laughs> He was man. like, are you, like, are you confused? Like, no one wants to go here. And, like, it's, <laughs> which, like, when I got there, it's, like, a super tiny little town. It's not really dangerous because there's not anything. Like, they have a cute little town square and maybe a couple places to eat. And I was there for maybe like an hour or two because there really isn't too much to do. But it's just interesting that I was so dissuaded when like it really is just like, yeah, nothing there. There were like some families and I definitely drew a lot of attention just because people were like, who is she? I've never seen her before. (laughs) And I don't think they get very many tours, but it wasn't like I never felt um, any sort of danger to my safety or anything like that.
0: Um I remember you were you were also talking about I wanna say it was a town in Colombia that was all I might be remembering this wrong, but it was also like the guidebook was like don't go here.
2: Yeah, um oh oh, yeah. So my favorite place in Colombia, Cali Colombia, which is like one I think it's the second largest city after Bogota, but it's supposedly like one of the top like top ten most dangerous cities in the world. And yeah, I remember I had asked like this like female digital nomad group on Facebook. I was like, hey, I'm going here for two weeks. Like, you know, where can I work? Wi-Fi spots. Is anyone in town type of thing? Um, And everyone was like, oh, like you should not go there. It's so dangerous. Like all this stuff. Um, And like even just like, why do you want to go there? There's nothing really to do. And so I was like, all right, well, this clearly is not my audience. (laughs) (laughs) And I almost I was kind of like going back and forth on whether I wanted to go, um, but then I was just like, I just decided to, and yeah, I ended up, um, like for sure there are, like, like with any big city, you know, you have to, um, take certain precautions and use common sense, um, I didn't feel like you, I had to exercise any, like, extra caution than I would yeah. anywhere else, um, and yeah, I loved it. I spent like two weeks there learning salsa and like oh, that's where you do the yeah, salsa lessons. yeah, yeah, um, cool. and like made a bunch of friends from all over the world. And um, yeah, it was just a really it was really interesting because that ended up being like my favorite place. I'm actually planning to go back there um, in August. Oh, awesome! Yeah, so so I'm glad I didn't listen to <laughs> <laughs> to that person because they were like. They're like, I've been to like fifty four countries and I've never felt as terrified as like this one place. And is it because
1: <laughs> is it because this is like more was this like a port of the slave mm-hmm. transatlantic slave trade? Is it because no, it's, it
2: like I mean I think it is because it's like it's a more diverse Got like it. um
1: is there, I don't know, so there's black, there's black I'm sorry, this, me being in, I'm being ignorant because, like, yeah. I am ignorant about it, Are there, there's, like, a black population in Columbia. Yeah, so... But is there a term for, like, like... So they,
2: um, to, it's interesting how race is perceived outside of the United States, and exactly. obviously it, it differs from even within these countries, um, but what I saw with Afro-Latinos or Latinxs in general is that um they identify more with like their nationality than Mm. like so Mm. they don't really make the distinction of like oh i'm afro-colombian it's more just like i'm colombian right yeah i'm black but there's just not the need to like identify quite the same way as we do in the united states um but at the same time, like for simplicity's sake, like you can say Afro-Columbian. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not like they don't; they're not like a. It's not an offensive term or anything, yeah. but it's just it's, not, it's, it's not, not how they a categorize park. themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but so is, yeah, is
1: that why you think people uh, categorize that city as more dangerous? Is that kind of yeah? It definitely
2: like like from a western I think,
1: perspective.
2: I think it's definitely yeah. because it's a it's a really urban city. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that and it's not even necessarily like that they have it's definitely diverse in terms of like the types of colombian like for example um in places like medellin and bogota you see a lot more like spanish-looking colombians Mm -hmm. and in cali um, it's more of just a mix so you see people who might look more spanish but also like more indigenous and then also like afro-colombians so i think just that general mix um and then i think Part of it, also, too, is just that Colombia is still kind of recovering from the narco drug, <laughs> mm-hmm. trade image, yeah. so the country in general, like, there are places like Medellin is really becoming a digital nomad, like, tech capital type of thing, mm-hmm. um, but for the most part, like, you still have, like, a lot of stereotypes of just about, like, how violent and how dangerous the country is, so mm-hmm. I think that contributes a lot to it. Got it.
0: Yeah. I feel like I feel like I've known quite a, quite a few people. I've gone to Colombia recently, and just like yeah, it's
2: awesome. Like mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> like, it there's like Colombian people are so friendly, and um, yeah, I loved it. Like it was it was definitely my
0: favorite country that I went to. So interesting how like yeah, so much <laughs> so much of like the American stereotypes, especially in like South and Central America um are so negative and all of those negative well not all but i'd say maybe a majority of those negative like images are propagated by this country like oh through totally us, yeah it's like throwing <laughs> over like like legitimate governments yeah like, it is
2: yeah um that's another reason why i'm really glad i did travel those countries like especially like mexico and guatemala um to really see firsthand, like, the people and the landscape and, like, what it looks like and that, I don't know, I just feel like there's so much negative rhetoric around those countries, um, so to kind of be able to see for myself and for my own opinion, um, and also gain a deeper understanding at, like, into their current climate and, Mm -hmm. like, why it's so, there's... Just so much um, disruption right now, and yeah, like you said, most of it just has to do with American <laughs> interference. Um, and it's really sad that we—it's well, sad that we have such a short memory yeah. <laughs> in our country because it wasn't that long ago. Uh, but it's also sad too that we just don't know our history, so we yeah. don't know that, like, like when I was in Guatemala, um, there was I did like a couple weeks at a Spanish school. And it was really cool because they actually taught us some of the history of Guatemala. Um, And so they talk about like CIA interference Mm -hmm. and like all this stuff. And just so it really opened my eyes to realizing that like just so much of the discord is just because of like we introduced it there. Um, And so much of what's happening right now is just a
0: direct reflection of that. Yeah. So mind boggling <laughs> oh. so, but
2: I'm glad that I like that I was able to see for myself so I don't have like my view isn't shaped by like the rhetoric that's happening in yeah. our politics right now
0: that's super important <laughs> <laughs> yeah what uh? What what's the full list of all the countries that you ended up yeah. visiting?
2: Um. So I started in Mexico, and then I went to Guatemala, Colombia, and Peru. Um, I was supposed to go to Ecuador, but um, towards the end of my trip, like a few things happened, and I also was just kind of getting sick of living out of a suitcase. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't go to Ecuador, and I came back home. So that's. Also, where I'm going, like later this year, oh, okay, yeah, to Ecuador or to Ecuador for the first time.
1: <laughs> My parents went to Ecuador a few years ago, and I remember then they came and visited me when I was living in Westlake. Yeah, we went to MacArthur Park. <laughs> and they were like, "This is just like Ecuador." <laughs> I was like, "Guys, <laughs> stop!" It was very intense. I was like, "I don't know what to say to you but that's <laughs> great about that." Um, but oh. I think there is an Ecuadorian population and
2: oh yeah, for sure. Salvadorian. I would, yeah, El Salvadorian yeah. uh definitely really yeah. big in, mm-hmm. in LA. Um, it's funny though cuz when I came back, that was like like I obviously had a pretty big culture shock, but the really big la- Latin com- or la- Latino community in LA like really helped me adjust sure. because I loved like, just walking down the street and hearing, like, Spanish or hearing, like, I don't know, just, like, or even driving through and seeing, like, um, restaurants and stores with, like, yeah. Spanish names or yeah. Korean names or, I don't know, it just made me feel, like, I guess, like, a, I'm not sure, but it made me feel better.
1: <laughs> I get that. I get that. Even after we were only in the Yucatan for a week or something, but I remember coming back and feeling like I understood L.A. better. Yeah. yeah. Like, a... a such a huge part of the landscape of the city. It's yeah, Latino culture everywhere, you know? And, yeah. like, me being from the Midwest and the <laughs> East Coast or whatever, like, it's, yeah, it's it, it gave me totally new perspective on whose town this really was. Yeah, I yeah. Was like, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, it was
2: really interesting. Like, I definitely... It's funny because now, like, when I see, like, a little, like, Guatemalan restaurant mm-hmm. or, like, a, a storefront in Spanish, I'll be like, what's that? Like, yeah, I <laughs> like I'm like... feel like, more, like, open to... Yeah, the like, more thing. open to, mm-hmm. like, yeah, like, what is that? Um, whereas before, I think, I just didn't even really know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I get
1: that. Makes
0: sense. How good did your Spanish get? Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> it got okay, like, I would say around the time that... I was leaving I was probably like basic conversational (laughs) like I could like get around and like I could understand pretty well and and, like especially if I was talking to someone who was bilingual I could have a conversation well because then they could kind of fill in the gaps Um, but since I've been back it's kind of like reduced back down to not that I've been trying to like um, listen to the Duolingo podcast and I don't know, watch like Spanish Netflix shows mm-hmm. and things like that. But immersed. Yeah, but it's still not the same as like having to, you know, go out and have these interactions every yeah. day. Mm-hmm. Like forced to yeah, do it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I really loved it because it was such... Like it would, in some ways it would get frustrating, like there were certain times where... I would be traveling and um, I might not really encounter other tourists so I would just be speaking in Spanish for like maybe a week or two and the strain on my brain and also just like wanting to have like a more in-depth conversation with someone could be kind of frustrating Um, but, damn it, I lost my train of thought (laughs) Um, uh, maybe it'll come back to me
1: (laughs) Um, have have you thought about writing a book? Um, yeah,
2: so, (laughs) yeah, I'm kind of, I'm working on a book right now. It's, like, very, very, like, early research, Uh um, and it's not, it's, like, semi-autobiographical, but also kind of loops in some of my family history, um, as well, so, um, I wouldn't say expect it anytime soon, but it's, like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, but it's it's in the works. uh (laughs) Cool. Yeah. (laughs)
1: And you're writing for Lonely Planet about the trip, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, I'm writing for Lonely Planet and um, just, like, pitching other um, outlets and yeah, just trying to um, yeah, trying to shine light on some of these places that were really meaningful to me during the trip. Yeah.
0: Cool. That's super important because I feel like, I mean, I haven't done a whole ton of international traveling myself, but I feel like Like, for black and brown people living in America, it's, it's, if you can, it's really important to get the fuck out of here. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And experience some other cultures. Like, even if it might, even if it's not, like, a, like, predominantly black Mm -hmm. country, like, just to get out of here and, like, experience other cultures and, like, see kind of, like, this isn't it here. Yeah, no, it, it really
2: is so so important and I think that's why like I came back and was like okay I need to like share this information yeah, absolutely um, yeah. because I think like me so many people just don't think of it as a possibility for themselves yeah. and so I'm really just trying to like demystify that like yes you can travel like I mean I'm not going to say whatever your budget is because I know that traveling is still like a huge privilege yeah. Um but there are like affordable ways to travel and yeah like you said it is it's so so important and it just completely shifts your perspective of the world to um to be able to go to places that have a different relationship to people who look like you Mm um like i remember kind of one of the things that that sort of spurred this whole interest um, or passion towards travel was when i went to cuba um i think it was the like December 2017 maybe 2016 a couple years ago um and that was the first time in my life that I felt like I could like blend in places Mm. and it was so mind-blowing that I was just like wow like I like that just I just felt like I can go in rooms and in clubs or wherever I'm going and like I don't have to worry about the makeup of the room mm-hmm. and like, you know, are there going to be people who look like me or how othered am I going to feel? And like, just this ability of like, you know, not being bothered by other tourists cause they weren't really sure if I was, if I was a tourist mm-hmm. or if I was from there and then like locals kind of embracing me immediately. Um, that it just like gave me this hunger of like, okay, where else can I yeah. find this feeling? Um, and so I think that's part of, uh, what's pushed me to continue to travel is just like wanting to uncover more places like that um and also wanting to like for places that aren't like that the for places that are less diverse wanting to just introduce myself to them and like be a part of the change that helps people like that just normalizes diverse travel even though it can be an uncomfortable experience um I, that was kind of what helped me when I did have those moments while I was traveling of being like there were some places especially like in Mexico where I would be in like in a small town and very obviously the only black person in that town and like it might be a place where that mostly got Mexican tourists and like it wasn't aggressive staring but just the amount of staring was just like it takes such a toll on you mm. that I would have to just constantly remind myself like okay it's fine because this is normalizing. Yeah. You know, like hopefully the next black traveler <laughs> they see will get less Not stares. Yeah. <laughs> and like so I think it's important for for people of color to like even though it can be really intimidating and sometimes scary, um I think it's important for us to disrupt spaces like that. For sure.
0: Yeah, just just like here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, yeah. yeah. Back, yeah just make them accept here. you
2: and like or even if they don't you can't make them accept you like don't you don't have to shrink yourself or you don't have to like back down like right. you yeah. have the right to take up space you exist and like other people need to be faced with that and like if that <laughs> triggers them or they have a reaction to that that's their problem yeah
1: so yeah yeah like you were saying that was one of the goals of the trip in a sense right yeah yeah or outcomes or whatever is like realizing you could take up space and be
2: yeah yeah for sure um I think I I've definitely grown a lot like especially when I think of when I first got the idea for the trip and like where I was in terms of how I took up space and how much space I felt um I had a right to take up mm-hmm. like I've I and mean, I'm not like perfect now but um I've definitely grown a lot in that regard and just like gotten a lot more comfortable with, um, with just showing up. Yeah, we're glad, we're glad. Yeah. We want more Danielle. Yeah. Yes. yeah,
1: absolutely. I also think it's really important, um, like in terms of doing like the travel Writing and stuff right. like that too is I I would guess I haven't read a lot of travel writing but I would guess most of it is told from a Western white perspective. Oh yeah, and so mostly like, like
2: white dude bro Sure. Like.
1: <laughs> yeah, who are travel writers? Yeah, it's like, like
2: mostly yeah. That's yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think that's amazing, and I would love to see and hear more. Yeah, perspectives than just that Western Chicago uh, <laughs> <Yes>. series. <laughs> yeah, no, trust me, there are like
2: lots of like ideas behind the scenes. Um, that. but I definitely, yeah, and I think that slowly, um, things are sh- the industry is shifting, and I can even just see like in ed- the travel editors that I do talk to that mm-hmm. like they really do want more of a diverse perspective because mm-hmm. I think, um, you know as more people open up to the idea of international travel or leisure leisure travel like they want their perspective they're like okay i'm i'm open to it now as a queer person or a black person mm-hmm. or whatever so where is my travel guide and Ooh, it's right. just not out there sure uh, so i think there's um, a lot of travel outlets are starting to see that and starting to look for
0: more diverse voices mm-hmm. we need it yeah <laughs> <laughs> What was your biggest takeaway i guess what is what did you learn or
2: mm, okay um i think my biggest takeaway um is like i don't know how this is gonna sound <laughs> but uh, is that i can do anything um hell yeah <laughs> it kind of t- to elaborate um sort of what i was saying earlier of like you know choosing a goal and not necessarily being sure of how you're gonna accomplish it. But then um, as those steps are um, revealed along the way, like being able to meet that goal. So being able to do that with this trip, like, like I said, like I had never done anything like this before. I had never traveled by myself. I didn't like study abroad or anything like that. My longest trip before this had been like two weeks and always with like a significant other or something. Um, so when I got the idea, it was completely out of, like, left field, um, so the entire experience really taught me that, like, yeah, if you really set your sight, I mean, <laughs> I sound like the reading rainbow or something, <laughs> right <laughs> now, but that's really what it taught me, is, like, set your sights on something, and if you're really committed, and, like, you know, you take small, concrete steps towards your goal, then, you know, we, there's no reason to place limitations on yourself. Mm-hmm and that you can probably achieve a lot more than you might realize. Yeah. Super bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to say.
0: <laughs> uh, f- favorite food?
2: Oh, man, empanadas for sure. <laughs> in
1: a certain country
2: or at all? Yeah, Colombian empanadas. Yeah. Oh, and I will say right now, too, um, yeah, Colombian empanadas definitely win over Peruvian empanadas. Oh, I'm, really? I apologize. Well, no, I don't apologize, but I'm <laughs> sorry for any feelings that I hurt. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, when I was in Colombia, I was eating, like, literally an empanada a day, if not more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... I went to Peru right afterwards and like I think the first day I was like walking around Lima and I was like I saw like an empanada place I was like oh let me get empanada I was like missing Colombia because Lima's cold and dreary um and Colombia was like tropical and warm Mm -hmm. um and the empanada just like did not live up to (laughs) the empanada. it was just completely (laughs) cooked differently um so yeah Colombian empanadas have my heart um and Mexican food too like I mean yeah. which I already knew I loved Mexican food before <laughs> I left but um, especially when I was um, in Oaxaca they have like these things called Tayudas um, I hope I'm saying that correctly but they're kind of I think that they are what Taco Bell's Mexican pizza are based off of oh, Okay. because <laughs> they're kind of similar concept I don't want to say they're similar in taste but um they're kind of like these, like yeah, Mexican pizzas. I guess you could like compare them to, um, but they were really, really good, and I became obsessed with them. And yeah, fell even more deeply in love with Mexican food uh, while traveling. And just how
1: like, did you figure out where to go? Because I feel like that was our <laughs> big, we were kind of tripped up, weren't we, when we were in Mexico? Um, but figuring out where to eat, I think we had, like, so many misses, yeah. Like, a few hits, and I couldn't figure it out. I think, <laughs> for me,
2: throughout the entire trip, I think it was just being, like, completely indiscriminate. Just like, try this. I had so much street food, um, and in Mexico especially, I think, like, yeah. all my best food, food I had was, like, on the street, uh-huh. or, like, little shacks, Yeah. um... Yeah, or, like, maybe a local recommendation here or there. Um, but, yeah, I just ate all the street food. Mm. And, and it wasn't until when I got to Peru, like, maybe two weeks um, after I got into Peru, that I finally got, like, a stomach bug. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, but I got, I, yeah. I went, like, four months, though. That's um right. <laughs> With just, like, yeah, all types of meat. I don't think... I don't think I did seafood off the street. I think that yeah. that is kind of where I drew the line, unless like I was maybe on like a boardwalk or something. But, um, but yeah. <laughs> I,
0: <laughs> Do you know anywhere in LA to get Colombian empanadas? I love empanadas. <laughs> um,
2: there's a place near me. Oh, it's called like La Antic. Oh, I, I don't even know how to say the name. Um, but I can I'll. We can you can maybe like put it in the notes. In the the show (laughs) notes. So I can look it up and give you the name on Yelp. Um because I don't want to butcher it. But there is a place in East Hollywood off of Melrose that's really good. Cool.
1: Yeah. Have you been to that O'Haken restaurant? Um I've been to There's like one
0: on Olympic. Olympic. Yeah.
2: Oh no, I don't think so. I've been to there's one on Western Oh. That I like. That might be the
1: one. Is does have the mural on the outside? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called like El Con.
2: I've been wanting to go to that one. Yeah, yeah. it's like
0: white with red. Maybe? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, yeah, that one's really good, and it okay. has like a little outdoor garden patio type thing. Um, yeah, it's legit. Yeah, um, I live in a really good neighborhood for like legit Central American mm-hmm. Latin food in general, like. El Salvadorian food, Colombian food, Mexican food. It's all right there. Mm-hmm. It's it's wonderful. <laughs> we're lucky to live in a city. Listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we really are. Yeah. yeah, that definitely, I remember like in the first few days after I got back, and I was like, I was just completely like flabbergasted and like culture shock. Sure. And I went to the little Colombian place by me, and they just like immediately started speaking Spanish to me. Like they were to everyone there, and I think it's like, kind of a local spot, and I was just like,
1: oh, like, this is, like, my safe space. <laughs> yeah, Ease the it's transition. Like your yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about Word Witch and the stuff you were talking about, mm. and, like, your tarot practice. Oh, yeah. Did you, was that, did you get to explore any of that in, when you oh. were there? Because there's Santeria, cent- that- yeah, yeah, Um
2: Santeria, it's interesting. There's, like, it's called something different in every country. Yeah, so exactly. Santeria is what they call it in Cuba, but it's basically, like, the Yoruba religion, um, anyway, so I definitely, (laughs) I brought, like, three tarot decks with me, which I would not recommend, I had one that I barely even used, and was just, like, two pounds added to my backpack, (laughs) because it came with a book, uh um, but, yeah, like, it was definitely, especially when I was in Mexico, I felt a really strong, um, spiritual connection with that land, Mm. Um, and also I think because it was the beginning of my trip, so I was a little bit more like apprehensive. I was spending more time by myself. Um, so while I was doing that, um, was definitely like just interacting with Tara more and like, I don't know. Um, I didn't, I would say like most of, I thought going into the trip that it was going to be, and it was really productive in terms of work. Um, but it, in terms of, like, output, um, most of that has happened, like, since I've been back. So a mm-hmm. lot of my tarot um, that I was doing along the trip was mostly just, like, personal and, like, got of figuring stuff out along the way. But I wasn't really, like, taking clients. Um, and even at certain points during the trip, like, kind of fell off with how often I was interacting with my deck um although it was a cool way way to like meet people sometimes yeah, like yeah, especially should, yeah, totally. um like in hostels like sometimes i would just like go to like a common area and like bring my cards just to like for See? myself mm-hmm. and like someone is eventually going to come and be like oh what's this oh read me <laughs> um yeah and although unfortunately like my Spanish never got good enough to give anyone a reading <laughs> <opinion laughs> because I would want to be like so descriptive and I would get so frustrated at like just my lack of vocabulary mm-hmm. that the few times I did try to do a, a reading in Spanish I had to have like some a translator <laughs> nearby because mm-hmm. um, I just get like so caught up in it that um, my Spanish is just,
0: uh, just not there yet so.
1: Thank you so much.
2: Yes, thank you so much for thank taking the for time. Thank you for having me. This has been fun.
0: Yeah. Where can people find you, Danielle?
2: Um. So on Instagram, it is at Tarot Uh, that's T-A-R-O-T-V-I-E-W-S, and then my website's just TarotViews.com. Um. Yeah, and those are the easiest places to find me.
0: <laughs> thank you for listening to Cosmic Alitasis. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Cosmic Halitosis.
1: If you have questions or comments or want to yell something at us, email us at cosmic with a K, halitosis, cosmichalitosis at gmail.com.
0: Please subscribe and like the podcast.
1: And you can follow us on our personal Instagram accounts. I am gorgeous taps. And Temba is Tembizle, T E M B I Z Z L E.